How big a step forward can the Falcons expect Arnold Ebikini to take in year two? And what should we expect from the rest of their edge rushers in 2023? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and a very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. You're a daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn, who's going to help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNFL. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And we thank each and every one of you people that make this illustrious podcast your first listen each and every day. Of course, shout out to the everydayers. Follow in their footsteps by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today we're continuing our positional breakdown ahead of 2023 Falcons training camp, uh, talking about the defensive side of the ball all week long. And today we're talking about the edge rushers. And we'll start the conversation talking about sort of the edge rusher, at least the guy that I have my eyes on, and I think a lot of you guys have your eye on, in terms of Arnold Ebiketti and what we can expect from him moving forward. And we're going to talk quite a bit about expectations, not only on today's episode, but throughout this week when we talk about the other defensive positions, with sort of how mine are different than yours. And, you know, I have expectations for Arnold Ebiketti, and he's going to potentially make that all important year two jump. Right. But the difference probably between me is, you know, and you that I'm probably not as married to those expectations as maybe some of you guys are, but in terms of what my expectations are, um, you know, I'm kind of expecting Ebiketti to be kind of like a six to eight sack guy this year, 40 to 50 pressure guy. And he could be more than that. He could be less than that. We'll see. But Part of the reason why I'm reasonably high on Arnold Ebiketti and what he'll do this year is the same reasons I was pretty high on Arnold Ebiketti and what he could do here in Atlanta when we drafted him. That, you know, my evaluation of Arnold Ebiketti, that he was a pretty technical pass rusher, much more technical than a lot of collegiate pass rushers. And that's a good thing because unlike a lot of collegiate pass rushers, I didn't think Arnold Ebiketti, despite having, you know, excellent athleticism, didn't rely on his physical tools to win at the collegiate level, nor does that in su- that suggest that he's not going to rely on those same things to win at the NFL level. And that's valuable because, you know, to me, you know, while athleticism is certainly very important when it comes to rushing the quarterback, I also think technique is sort of the thing that often separates the men from the boys. And you've heard me say this a bunch on this podcast over the years when talking about how I think about pass rushers. And, and this comes from, you know, basically two days, uh, or two decades, I should say, uh, of experience in, in observation. You know, it seems like two days because I'm so humble. But, you know, like you look at these guys that can rely on their physical tools to just consistently win, especially early in their NFL careers and continue to do so without necessarily uh, developing that technique. You have to be this sort of level of physical freak like a Julius Peppers, like a, a Ziggy Ansah. And if you're not that level of freak, then to me, oftentimes your success and failure in the NFL is going to be tied 
to how refined and technical you become over time. And I think that's a big reason why players like Vic Beasley and Tack McKinley didn't quite live up to expectations here in Atlanta uh, because they never really got beyond relying on those physical abilities. And, you know, that's important because at the NFL level, while we know defensive linemen generally are more athletic than offensive linemen, the offensive linemen that make it to the NFL and become, you know, reliable starters in the NFL are no joke from the athleticism department department right you're, you're not going to just simply line up and out athlete guys like ryan ramchak and tristan Wirfs and taylor moten and icky aquano uh the various offensive tackles that you're going to face regularly in the mc south uh, let alone you know players like trent williams and teron armstead and and other top players uh elsewhere in the nfl and you know throughout all of last season a lot of people were constantly you know asking me for updates like what where do you, where do you think of Arnold Ebikitty is and what is his progress and you know generally I was like favorable about where Ebikitty was as a rookie because what I liked about what he did in his rookie season and why I'm you know optimistic about what he could do now in year two is I like the fact that Ebikitty as a rookie was trying stuff and what I meant by that is you know he was using different moves now it felt like a lot of times as a rookie, he was just kind of throwing stuff at a wall in terms of the moves that he was using and seeing what would stick rather than having intention. And so what I'm expecting from this year is a lot more intention and in what Arnold Ebiketti is trying to do, right? That he's, you know, using specific moves because through experience of playing some of these offensive tackles and or the film study that he's put in, uh, this year, he knows, OK, this move may work against this offensive tackle because he's weak in this area or whatever. So that sort of intention of being intentional about how he's utilizing those moves and rather than just basically just throwing everything and, and hoping something works right now. That being said, you know, even with the jump I'm expecting Epiketti to make, you know, I, I would probably say probably relative to some of you out there you know, my expectations for him may be modest, right? I, I think he's on the path to potentially be a double-digit sack guy, but I'm not really expecting him to be that player this year. I'm more expecting that player to come potentially in year three, in year four, because, you know, while I think we'll see him being much more intentional with his pass rush repertoire and arsenal of moves this year, I don't expect him to quite master it enough that you need to in order to be that sort of super reliable double-digit sort of sack guy. But I'm certainly eager to see the growth, the development, the improvement that he shows, you know, over the next six months. I'm, I'm eager to monitor that growth. And we talked quite a bit on yesterday's episode about, you know, who's the alpha in, in, in the pass rush room. And, of course, we were talking about that in the context that Grady Jarrett is that player. But it's also going to be interesting to sort of see who can also emerge. And I think Ebiketti is your best candidate to emerge as that sort of co-alpha rather than, you know, using beta because, you know, uh, the Andrew Tates of the world would, wouldn't appreciate those terms here on this illustrious podcast. But, you know, when we're talking about the quote unquote alpha, right, we're, we're talking about, you know, to use a baseball analogy, that guy that can close, right? Or to use a basketball analogy, that guy that can get you a bucket, right? It's third and seven, fourth quarter, opposing team is driving down the field or in a position to drive down the field for the game winning or game tying score. And you need to get Trevor Lawrence on the ground. You need to get Dak Prescott on the ground. You need to get Bryce Young on the ground. Who's going to be that guy? And I, again, I think Grady Jarrett is proven that he could be that guy, but I think Arna Bacchetti is the guy that has the most potential of anybody uh, to turn into that guy you know, this year as in addition to Grady Jarrett and into the future. So we'll see where he is when measured by that stick um, by years in. And I'm hoping 
that he's, you know, sort of closed the gap that, you know, to the point to even if he isn't that guy by the end of the season, you know, next year when we're doing offseason content and summer content and I'm asking various guests to come on the podcast, who's your breakout candidate? And I say, you know, other than Arnold Abiketti, because, of course, everybody thinks Arnold Abiketti is going to show that growth and be that breakout star player, you know, because he was right on the cusp of being that guy at the end of last season. And so it's just like a hop, a skip and a jump away from him being that player in year three. So that's what I'm hoping to see from Arnold Epichetti over the next six months. And we'll see if he lives up to those expectations. We'll see what sort of expectations we should have for the rest of the young pass rushers uh, in this edge rusher group. And we'll talk about why my expectations for those guys aren't quite as high as they are with Arnold Abiketti, and we'll talk about the guys that the Falcons have drafted in addition to Arnold Abiketti over the last three offseasons, like D'Angelo Malone, Adi Ogundeji, and Zach Harrison, and what their expectations are moving forward on today's Locked On Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you about Bird Dogs, who provide super comfortable pants, shorts, and sweatpants, and their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg to give you that truly sculpted look. So that when you're out there doing leg day, you know, you can show off those gains uh, because unlike regular other shorts, you know, they're not made of stiff, restrictive cotton with bird dogs. They've invented cloud knit fabric that looks and stretches, you know, looks like khaki, but stretches uh, to give you that slimmer fit and won't have to sacrifice movement. And recently, you know, cl- uh, bird dogs served another function for me because I was on vacation visiting the beach. Uh, this past weekend, and I forgot to pack my bathing suit, and so I just used Bird Dogs as my bathing suit, and it worked well. They have those built-in liners, uh, unlike other shorts, that you know keeps everything nice, snug, and cozy while I'm swimming in the ocean. So if you want to try Bird Dogs yourself, go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNFL for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order, and that's birddogs.com slash LockedOnNFL for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off, we promise you. So continuing today's Locked on Falcons, you know, let's talk about the other young pass rushers beyond Arnold Abiketti. And again, talking about expectations, this is why expectations are so interesting, right? Now, I have expectations for all 90 players on the roster, but as I said earlier, I'm not always married to those expectations. And, you know, I always talk about, you know, this is the biggest difference between me and you. And I've said that about 10 different things on this podcast over the years. So it's one of the biggest differences rather than the biggest difference. But You know, the simplest way I could explain it is I tend, you know, I think a lot of other people, fans included, tend to expect reality to conform around you versus I tend to try to conform around reality. And what I'm talking about is when, for example, when a player does not live up to expectations, you know, I think your average fan gets mad at the player rather than me. I look at myself in the mirror and say, oh, Aaron, you're the idiot that had these wrong expectations for this player. The player is what he is. And it's up to me to conform and and hopefully learn to appreciate what the player is, even if it isn't quite what I thought he would be. And so I'll be interested to see how that affects several of these young guys, because when I look at these guys, starting with D'Angelo Malone, I don't have high expectations, right? And when I look at D'Angelo Malone, I struggle to see how he gets significant opportunities on defense this year. Right. My expectations for D'Angelo Malone this season is he'll probably play a similar amount of get a similar amount of workload that he got a year ago. Maybe a little bit more than that. We'll see. But I'm expecting the bulk of his contributions this season to be on special teams. 
And I'll be curious to see how D'Angelo Malone fits in this new scheme for Mario Nielsen that typically in their edge rushers, DNs, 4-3, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, is looking for a little bit more size and length and strength that are those are the valuable valued traits in Ryan Nielsen's scheme for edge rushers. And those aren't the traits that you would look at D'Angelo Malone and say those are the plus traits for him. And it's led a lot of fans. We haven't really heard the team talk about this, but it's led to a lot of fans over the last, you know, several months talking about maybe D'Angelo Malone is destined to kind of get the Caden Ellis treatment, who was an undersized, you know, edge rusher in college that was, you know, transformed and, and transitioned into being more of an off-ball linebacker. And I could see that role being maybe a better fit for D'Angelo Malone moving forward. Now, this is in contrast to D'Angelo Malone's fit in the DMP scheme where, you know, we were more of a 3-4 outside linebacker and that ability to play in space was much more valued and prized among the edge rushers in that scheme than it is currently or presumably will be in the Ryan Nielsen scheme because, you know, Dean Pease loves his simulated pressures, his sims, his creepers. And for those of you that need a refresher on that, that's, you know, when you have that four-man rush, but it isn't just simply the four guys that are the down linemen, the, the two DNs and the two D tackles. It's, you know, you're bringing a linebacker, you're bringing a cornerback. And, you know, if you're bringing those guys, you're replacing them by dropping a, a defensive lineman into coverage uh, so that you still only have four guys rushing. And we talked about this last year when the Falcons signed Lorenzo Carter. That's what made Lorenzo Carter such a good fit in that system was because he was the ideal sort of guy that you would ask to drop a lot. And we looked at D'Angelo Malone as a player that also had similar potential uh, to be that type of player. But Will we see that same type of role being valued in the Ryan Nielsen scheme as much as it was in the DMP scheme? That remains to be seen. But when I look at D'Angelo Malone, I, I struggle again to see where he gets these opportunities because I struggle to see him, you know, getting more opportunities in Lorenzo Carter and Bud Dupree and Arnold Abichetti, not to mention Calais Campbell and Zach Harrison, who do have that size and power and length. Uh, that, you know, is is prioritized in the scheme. So it's hard for me to see him getting enough playing time this year to allow him to grow, even if he is poised to grow and make a comparable year two jump as Arnold Abiketti is. So that is going to be something that we'll have to sort of see. As for me, you know, whether we see that from D'Angelo Malone kind of for me is whatever, because, you know, I always kind of looked at D'Angelo Malone in contrast to Arnold Abiketti as kind of gravy. And what I mean by that is like, to me, I put my hope and dreams into Arnold Abiketti growing into, you know, a good player. So basically if Arnold Abiketti doesn't live up to the expectations that we just talked about, you know, that will disappoint me and that could potentially derail, you know, the Falcons pass rush in the years to come as they work to rebuild it. But if, if D'Angelo Malone doesn't, that's like whatever, right? You know, to me, D'Angelo Malone was always like, if he turns out to be good, that's great. Awesome. No one's going to complain about that. If he isn't, you know, he was always kind of a bonus extra sort of player. Like he was never going to be this player, at least from my expectations, that was ever going to be the, the, the guy here in Atlanta. So we'll see if he, you know, lives up, exceeds, whatever those expectations. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Adi Ogundeji, right? that Adi seems to be a much better fit in Ryan Nielsen's scheme than he was in the DMP scheme because he has that size and that length that you would look for in the Nielsen scheme, right? And we didn't talk that much about Adi last year because he didn't make too many plays, but, you know, the few times we did talk about him on the podcast in a positive way, it was talking about how he seemed to be a little bit more comfortable playing more as that hand-in-the-dirt defensive end than being the sort of 
three, four outside linebacker that the Falcons were trying to make him into. And so theoretically, you could make an argument that Adi Ogundeji is poised to blossom now heading into his third year in the NFL, much more so than he was going into year two, uh, even though he didn't make those gains in year two. So maybe he makes that jump this year, right? Yet, despite saying that, I don't project Adi Ogundeji to make the team. So once again, low expectations, right? He's in that same group of Frank Darby and Jalen Mayfield and Darren Hall that we've talked about and will talk about from these 2021 draft class that, you know, didn't show enough growth in year two. And now we're potentially on the roster bubble heading into year three. And for those aforementioned reasons, you know, there's a case I, I should be much higher on Adi Deji this summer than I should be, but I'll be curious to see, you know, where he is, um, you know, at the end of the summer, if he lives up to, you know, those expectations or exceeds my low expectations of him, or, you know, we have to revise these things. Now, when it comes to low expectations, I also have low expectations for Zach Harrison, right? My expectations is he'll be a rotational player, right? His job is to basically play up to 40% of the snaps to keep Calais Campbell fresh, right? And that's up to, you know, on average 25 snaps or so per game. And I'm eager to see sort of how Ryan Nielsen, if he can light that fire under Zach Wilson's butt to, to you know, get him quickly up to speed. And, and what I mean by that is when I watched Zach Wilson at Ohio State, you know, I thought despite having the physical abilities, you know, that should suggest that he would be a good run defender, he, he really struggled in that regard. And, you know, the other issue I had with Zach Harrison, you know, and I, I want to say this, I'm not down on Zach Harrison. It sounds like I'm being down on him, but you know, he refused to use his length and power to the degree that he should have, and he could have dominated. And, you know, you're watching the film, you're like, this guy's 6'6", 275. He's getting moved off the ball against the run, and he should basically be spamming college offensive tackles with his power, but he's not doing any of those things, right? And so I'm, I'm basically curious to see if Ryan Nielsen can kind of immediately fix those issues, right? That will we start to see him living up to being at least a decent run stopper to the point that he's not a liability, Right. When he's out there on the field, you know, keeping Calais Campbell fresh. Right. And will he be able to lean into what I think is his biggest asset as a pass rusher, which is his power. Right. That's all I really need from, him. you know, I'm imagining Nielsen just chewing him out uh, and, and basically saying, you know, Zach, all you got to do is this simple thing. Right. Every single snap, I want you to put your hands into the chest of the opposing blocker that is trying to block him and move him. Right. Whether it's against the run that allows you to set the edge. Whether that's, you know, as a pass rusher, that allows you to bull rush and collapse the pocket. That's all you got to do, right? And so that's what I mean where it's like, you know, can Nielsen and, and the rest of the Falcons coaching staff get him up to speed by basically dumbing things down to him and basically say every single snap, put your, put your you know, seven-foot wingspan into the chest of that opposing offensive lineman or tight end, who, whoever's trying to block you, and that's all you need to do. And, and, you know, can Zach Wilson, or I'm sorry, Zach Harrison, live up to those expectations. So that's what I'm curious to see from him. We'll see if he does that, but you know, what exactly do the Falcons need from, you know, Lorenzo Carter and, and Bud Dupree. And we'll talk about those veteran edge rushers as we wrap up today's locked on Falcons. And just like the Atlanta Falcons, you may be a small business owner or hiring manager, and you're looking for success in 2023. And that all depends on the team members that you surround yourself with whether we're talking edge rushers or, you know, the people that, you know, are the qualified candidates for the job that you're looking for, you know, you can find those at LinkedIn jobs and be quickly 
matched with the qualified candidates that have the right skills, values, and experience to help you achieve your goals in 2023, right? You know, just like a football team, you're trying to make the playoffs. You're trying to get over 30 sacks, you know, whatever you want to do, put your job post for free in front of over 800 million member profiles to find the most qualified candidates with LinkedIn jobs. It's easy to screen and rate applicants based on their job qualifications all on one platform. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs. Number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs is going to help you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. So wrapping up today's Locked On Falcons, I want to give a shout out to my everydayers who tune in each and every day to this illustrious podcast as their first listen. And tomorrow we'll be talking about the off-ball linebackers. So we'll be getting into Caden Ellis and Troy Anderson and Michael Walker and, you know, all the expectations involved with those guys. But we'll wrap up today's episode talking about the expectations for the two veteran pass rushers that the Falcons have in Lorenzo Carter and Bud Dupree. And let's talk a little bit about Lorenzo Carter who I did not expect, you know, talking about expectations, the Falcons to bring back because, as I mentioned earlier, he was such a Dean Pease sort of fit and questioned whether he would fit in this Nielsen scheme, you know, and while he doesn't have the sort of classic size that you look for, you know, I, I do think to Lorenzo Carter's credit, he does play a little bit bigger than, you know, a 250 pounder. So maybe he does wind up fitting in that regard. And when I look at both Carter and Dupree, you know, they're not the same player, but they're very similar players in the, they tend to live and die based off of their power and their effort, right? That's what they're really bringing to the table. They're not bringing a whole lot else to the table besides those two things, right? They're not guys that are going to be refined pass rushers. They're not super technical. They're not setting up moves. There's not a whole lot of diversity in their moves. It's just, you know, bull rush, bullying guys, you know, and that turns them into capable role players. And that's fine, right? When you're the fourth or fifth guy in a rotation, you know, like Carter was in New York, like Dupree was, you know, in his in, at the height of his career in Pittsburgh, right? You know, but that only becomes a problem, you know, those guys being role players when you're asking that guy to kind of be your number two, right? Which is what was harder last year in Atlanta. And certainly, you know, what Detroit, I mean, sorry, Tennessee was expecting from uh, Dupree, you know, two years ago when they paid him $16 million, over $16 million a year to be more of a number two guy there. But, you know, I think the good thing for the Falcons is this year, you're kind of expecting both of those guys to be at most the fifth or sixth guy in terms of the Falcons pass rush rotation, right? You know, behind Grady Jarrett, Arnold Abichetti, Calais Campbell, David Onyemata, and whatever order you want to put them. You also throw Caden Ellis uh, into that top five uh, and put, you know, Dupree six, Carter seven, whatever, right? Potentially where we're talking about that. And, you know, that means that I kind of foresee these two guys, Carter and, and, and Dupree's main roles to kind of play some of those early downs so that you can keep that main foursome or fivesome, whatever you want to call it, sort of fresher on those passing situations, right? And so, you know, what exactly does that entail? Does that mean they play 40% of the snaps? Does that mean they play, you know, 50, 60% of the snaps? We'll, we'll sort of have to see, but, you know, I don't expect we'll see those guys playing 80% of the snaps like we saw Carter do last year or like we saw Dupree do throughout his career in Pittsburgh. So, you know, my expectations for those guys is, you know, just be three, four, five sack guys, right? And that's kind of all we really need. So I don't particularly have 
high expectations for either Carter or Dupree to sort of, you know, completely change the math a ton with the Falcons edge rush group. But I don't think I need to have high expectations. So we'll wrap up today's episode talking about the last edge rusher that is notable in the room. That's Akina Inachuku, the undrafted free agent out of Rice. And he's notable in part because, you know, he's factoring in why I feel like the Falcons may be looking to move off from Adi Ogundeji because they're similar in terms of their skill set, both similar size, both long, you know, not the most explosive or bendy pass rushers, but have decent straight line speed. They can set the edge against the run, you know, and to me what's notable about Inachukwu was that he got six figures as an undrafted free agent. And, you know, clearly he was a player that the Falcons saw up close and personal at the Shrine Bowl during the practice week. And clearly they must have liked something in order to give him that type of money. Now, normally I think guaranteed money for undrafted free agents can be overrated. You know, see Justin Marshall, you know, heard a lot of Falcon fans or at least a few Falcon fans seem to have, you know, expectations for Justin Marshall because he got $30,000 in guaranteed money. Now to me, $30,000 again, I'm not going to complain about $30,000 and I know most of you guys are not going to complain about $30,000, but you know, that's chump change when it comes to undrafted free agents and and guarantees in the NFL. But I would say, you know, when you get six figures, a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand dollars, like in a Chuku got, that does become a lot more meaningful, a lot more significant. But despite that type of money, I, you know, I am hard pressed to see in the Chuku make the, the team, right? Because I'm expecting the Falcons to keep five edge rushers under 53 men roster, Epichetti, Malone, Harrison, Carter, and Dupree. And so, you know, where does that leave at Ogundeji? Where does that leave Akina in the Chuku, right? And so my expectations is, you know, that probably that guy, either one or both are headed for the practice squad and, you know, We'll see what Inichuku could do. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on, you know, that battle between what, again, what I perceive to be Ade Ogundeji, who's probably edge six in this group, uh, you know, against Inichuku's edge seven. So we'll see who wins that competition. But in conclusion, you know, I think there's a lot of questions about this edge rusher group. You know, the first one being, you know, how good Ebiketti is going to be this year. I think he's going to be pretty good, but we'll sort of have to see. Right. You know, and I think everybody else in this group is varying degrees of role players, right, of capable role players. But can any of these guys be more than that? Because, you know, we've talked before in the podcast how edge rusher is probably one of the positions that's going to be potentially very high on the Falcons list of priorities or wish list or needs heading into 2024. And I think that's a reason why I'm sure many of you would love to see the Falcons try to address that issue before 2024, right? Right. Whether that means trading for Daniel Hunter or signing Yannick Ngakwe or Jadavian Clowney, as I've heard various people suggest over the last couple of months, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see. Now, I don't expect the Falcons to make those moves. And one of the reasons why we don't talk about it as much on, on the podcast is I don't think they're that realistic that the Falcons will make some of those moves. And now I'm sure some of you are like, well, that doesn't stop you from talking about, you know, Corey Davis every day on the podcast. Yeah, I said the thing. Right. But, you know, I do think, you know, the Falcons adding a wide receiver is probably a little bit more realistic than them adding an edge rusher at this point in time. But we'll we'll see. Right. Um, But, you know, we'll see what's what with this group by the end of the year. You know, if, uh, you know, Ebiketti has that eight sack 40 pressure season, that's great. Obviously, that's living up to expectations. You know, if Bud Dupree has an eight sack 40 pressure type of season versus kind of the three sack 20 pressure season, I'm kind of expecting from him. 
you know, that will dramatically change the math when it comes to, you know, this group, you know, not only impacting what the Falcons can do this season, right? No one's going to complain about, you know, Dupree having that type of season. Um, and it also will impact what the team's plans are moving forward at this position. So we'll, we'll just sort of have to see what the Falcons do at this edge rusher group. But I, I think they have some young pieces. Just We'll just sort of have to see how quickly some of these young pieces mature and uh, if that means that the Falcons may not necessarily, if they mature faster than uh, what I'm expecting and maybe some of you guys are expecting, we'll see if that changes the math on how they deal with this position moving forward. But I'm very curious to see where your expectations are for this edge rusher group. Are they below, at, or higher than what mine are? Please sound off in the comments or you know, you can hit me up on email via LockdownFalcons at mail.com discuss it in the Lockdown Falcons Discord link in the description below. Of course, uh, you know, you can send me social media stuff, but I'm not spending too much time on Twitter or, or Facebook these days, but by all means, Lockdown Falcons is the place to go uh, on those, uh, you know, various social media websites. So um, let me know. I'm, I'm very curious to see what you guys are, are, whether we're in tune on some of these expectations with this edge rusher group. And we'll find out tomorrow if we're, we're in tune on, you know, the linebacker position where I'm at with that group of positions, but we'll continue these uh, defensive previews, uh, you know, on tomorrow's locked on Falcons is all part of the locked on podcast network. Uh, make sure you make locked on Falcons your first listen and, you know, check out locked on NFL for your second listen, Locked On Sports Atlanta, Locked On Hawks, Locked On Braves, Locked On Bulldogs, all that and more, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.